Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey, 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 before we dive into today's podcast episode, I wanted to let you know that I wrote a book. Yes, a real life actual book that will be available in stores and online on March 23rd, 2021. It's called The Gift of Self-Love, and it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. You can pre-order the book now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and it'll be delivered to you on March 23rd, which is the official publication date. So depending on where you order from, it should arrive somewhere around that time. I have been working on this book for over a year, compiling everything that I've learned and everything I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is that this book is a combination of not only me sharing my journey, but also it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So there are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, go pre-order it now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. And by pre-ordering, you'll also get free access to my next online retreat. So this is my way of saying thank you so much for your early support on this book. And I can't wait to see you, hang out with you, and do a workshop together at my next online retreat. So you can find all the pre-order links to order the book and all the information for the online retreat at maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools that I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, maryscupoftea.com slash book. Go pre-order it today and give yourself the gift of self-love. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mary's Cup of Tea, the podcast. Today, I am here with Daisha Kennedy from The Broke Black Girl. And in case you're not familiar with Daisha, go follow her right now. It's at The Broke Black Girl on Instagram. Follow her and like absorb all her posts, I swear. (laughs) Daisha, I've spent hours on your page at this point. (laughs) Um, But in case you're unfamiliar, I just wanted to read her quick bio. Daisha Kennedy, better known as the Broke Black Girl, is a millennial financial coach whose no-bullshit coaching strategies are helping women of color get ahead. After a tough life event, Daisha realized how financially unprepared she was, so she began sharing her journey towards financial success on Facebook. The Broke Black Girl, BBG, Facebook group, focuses on the financial struggles facing young women of color who have often been overlooked in the traditional conversations around personal finance. And within a year, the BBG group has skyrocketed to over 70 thousand women. So amazing. Daisha has more than a decade of experience working as an accountant and default counselor. She's leading women through discussions around different aspects of financial well-being. And today she's here to talk to us about all things financial literacy and how it affects our mental and emotional well-being and overall our lives. Welcome. Thank you. That was such an amazing introduction. I am very excited to be here. I love your podcast. I spent some time last week listening to a few episodes. So I'm very excited to be here today. Oh, thank you so much for being here. Like I said, I really wanted to talk about how we feel about money is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves in general. And I think I don't know about you, but my brain like attaches to numbers. And so, you know, I've dealt with an eating disorder. And so when it comes to like calories or my weight, but then as I've grown through that, I suddenly feel this like cloud of 
the number in my bank account or um, just just so many other numbers. And obviously finances and money is all about numbers. So it's it's really difficult to one, embrace like a positive money mindset while not letting it dictate your worth. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. I can definitely relate to that. I think one of the misconceptions when it comes to money and success and having enough is we attach a number to it. The moment that you realize that there will never be a number that we would consider would be good enough. When you realize that and you finally let that go, it becomes so much easier to focus on your goals. This is why having financial goals is extremely important because if I know, just for an example, I only need to save $5,000 for a specific goal, then I have a number already in mind. So every day I'm not letting the number in my bank account stress me out, the number in my checking or savings account stress me out because I know that I have goals. I know that it takes time and it's going to take work. So once you eliminate attaching a specific number to your finances, oh, it makes dealing with money so much easier. Mm, I love that. How did you just come to this? Like what was the the turning point where you're like, I'm going to get my my finances in check? Oh wow. I had two children very young. I had my first son when I was 19. My mom had me when she was actually 14 mm. years old. So mm. then I had a child very young. So for me growing up basically with my mom she didn't really get a hold of her finances until she was late 20s. And by that time, I was already a teen. I had already developed habits of my own that were not good financial habits. So it wasn't really until I had my children and I went through a divorce also very young that I knew that because I had two people that were now responsible, that I was now responsible for, I had to get it together. Like it's one thing when you can just wing it for yourself and it's like, oh, I'll spend all my money on XYZ and I'll eat noodles for a week. Like I can do that if it's just me. But if I have, you know, two children, it, it becomes very difficult. So it was during my divorce, going through my divorce and losing a car because of a divorce, losing 50% of my income because of a divorce. And it was at that moment where it's like, wow, I really, I really took a back seat to my finances at the expense of love. That's that's really what I did. At the expense of love, I took a backseat to my finances. And when that was over, when the divorce happened, I was lost. So it was at that moment I knew that I never wanted to experience something like that again, especially having children. So it was right there that I was like, okay, enough is <laughs> enough is enough. I had to get it together. So that was my turning point. Wow. There's first of all, thank you for sharing. There's something so big about that necessity just kicking in where it's like, I have no other, excuse my language, fucking choice, but to do this. And I also firmly believe that even if, you know, you don't have children or some sort of dire situation that you can also create that necessity and, and set that goal and just be like, this is it. This is my turning point. Yes, it could be anything. For me, it was children. For someone else, it could be life goals, health goals, mental health goals, physical goals. It could be something where your back is now against the wall and you absolutely have no choice but to come out fighting. And for me, it was my divorce that pushed me against the wall. But for someone else, it could be anything. But you'll know when you know that there's no one else to turn to, no place to go, you know that at that moment, it's it's completely on you at that point. Yeah, for sure. One thing I was thinking about, I do all my deep thinking while doing dishes. 
I don't know if anybody else does that. Oh, I hate dishes too, but I get in the trance because there's nothing to do, right? There's nothing else to do besides. Anyways, I was just thinking about how lately, and I've been spending time on the Instagram, the TikTok now, I find that the younger generations have this mindset when it comes to money that there's kind of like two extremes. It's either like, you're so rich and I just, I don't even know how to get there or what to do. And it feels so out of reach and people just feel like it's never possible for them. And then at the same time, they're like, yeah, get that sugar daddy. And we've kind of been more accepting of that. But I just feel like it's these two extremes where like, nobody talks about the practicality of dealing with money, like without joking about it or without thinking that it's impossible for you. So I'm wondering like mindset wise, what are some like money mindset shifts that we can make when when it comes to finances and, and how to approach them? Um, the very first thing would be we have to stop looking at what someone else has going on, which I know that that's very difficult, especially in the wake of social media, TikTok, Instagram. It is so easy to dial something up and make it look like, oh, it's super luxurious. I may never be able to attain that. Or you start making choices such as, getting a sugar daddy or, and I didn't just, someone's choice is, is their choice. But what I am saying is that you then start to see people make choices that they would not normally make to obtain something that is really not in their best interest or they want what someone else has had. So the very first thing is to understand when it comes to personal finance, personal finance is personal. It's your, you know, it's your journey. Someone else's idea of luxury or wealth may very well not be what's for you. And that's absolutely okay. So I think the biggest shift is just taking our eyes off of someone else's plate and simply focusing on what's in front of us. What is it that I want? And what is it that I am willing to do to get there? And notice I said willing to do, not forced to do, not something you have to sacrifice, something that you morally feel comfortable with doing work-wise to reach the goals that you want to reach. So to me, that's that's the top mind, the mindset shift is not focusing on what someone else has, but exactly what you have right now and how you can build off of where you're at. Mm, I love that. I really, really like that because I, the way I phrase it very non-technically, but I think we all have our thing. Right. Like some people are like, mm-hmm. this bag is going to make me really happy and I want to save for it. And other people are like, I'll do whatever it takes to buy a house. And we all just have our thing. And it's not like good or bad. It's just different. So when it comes to like these financial goals, I think a lot of people usually think of like saving money or paying off debt. But what I love about the information that you provide is the specificity of all the possibilities that are available to us that we don't even know about. What are some types of financial goals that some people may want to strive for, especially younger people? Okay. So one of the first things that I want to say, when you are young, one of the advantages that young people have that people, honestly, my age, 33 and up, well, I'm 33, what we either don't have or it has been reduced for us is time. They have time so they can have short term goals, which can be something as simple as I want to save for a purse or I want to save to go on a trip. Those are real short term financial goals. And to someone else, it may seem frivolous. But if I'm actually saving to purchase a bag, 
I know that months down the line, when it's time to make that purchase, I have spent five to six months building up to that purchase versus the day of the purchase, I'm spending my rent money to get it. So short-term goals are some short-term goals. Some long-term goals, it can be things such as you're interested in buying a car, you're interested in buying a house. Those are things that may take you 12 to 18 months to actually do. For me, when it comes to finance goals, I am very big on breaking them down into very small increments. For example, if I know that I need, let's just say $100 for something. To some people, $100 may seem like a lot to try to get at one time. But if I break that down to $20 increments, it sounds way more doable than $100. Then you do that same thing for $500, for $1,000, for $2,500. For me, I am so gun ho breaking the large goals down to very small increments because it seems easier to attain and it keeps you motivated. Going right back to the mental impact of finances. If you can see it in your mind, if you feel like it's attainable and you actually can do it, it's so much easier to follow through on financial goals that you set. Mm, Yeah. I read one of your posts that was like, pay off the small teeny tiny debt first and then use that as motivation as like ammo. Yeah, and that's really what it is. Um, and that's called the snowball debt effect. And it's really where you are paying off the very smallest amount first, and then you're moving on to the next one, the next one, until eventually the money that you've been paying on those smaller debts, you can use towards the much larger debt. Paying off debt sometimes can be a living hell. It can be a, a lot because what you see is the money that you've worked hard for coming out of your bank account to pay something off that nine times out of 10, you probably regret that you purchased in the first place. So if you're starting with the smallest debt, that's going to build momentum and debt is still getting paid off with just the smallest amount. And you're going to be motivated. You're going to actually feel like, okay, wow, I can really do this. This debt really can be reduced to the point it's completely eliminated. When it comes to finances, it is 90% of it is behavior. And the rest is strategy systems. But the, the gist of it is habits. That, that's really the gist of it. And starting small, building habits, that is really what carries you to the end when it comes to reaching finance goals of any sort. Mm, I love that. Habits instead of like this daunting, big thing that we see on social media. Whew. <laughs> the, the the social media, uh, when it comes to finance educators, it can be a lot. I love what I do, but it is some days that I feel very bad for some of the people who follow other financial educators because of the way that they deliver their messaging, the way that they speak to them, and the way that they play on their emotions. If a person can make you feel bad enough and guilty enough and force you into shame, They have mentally, they have invaded a space that was once safe for you. So now you don't know what to do. You're feeling horrible about yourself. You're feeling horrible about your finances. And you go into a a state where you don't know if you should flight or fight. For me, that is not my approach because I've dealt with it. I've dealt with that in the past. I, I dealt with seeking financial assistance from someone else and leaving feeling horrible feeling horrible. And this is me, a young mom, recently divorced, wanting to get assistance, literally seeking the help and being met with shame, guilt, judgment. Once a person has invaded your mind that way, it's very hard to snap out of that, which is why you see a lot of people don't talk about money. They don't like to talk about it because there's not really a safe space for them to say, hey, I screwed up. And I think that I screwed up bad, but I need help. 
in most cases, they're not met with open arms. And so a lot of people, they, they never deal with it. And that's how you have people 10, 20, 30 years down the line. They are still battling with debt that they had as teenagers and early 20s because either they didn't know how to handle it or they reached out to someone to assist them and then they was met in a negative way i see that happen all the time on social media and it breaks my heart um if you've been following me you know you can see i'm very passionate about what i do and i love people i am such a people person so when i see that sometimes it just breaks my heart Oh, yeah. My favorite, or should I say least favorite, is that you can't afford this because of your $5 Starbucks latte or whatever. <laughs> like, what a fucking joke. No one is broke because they're spending $5 on coffee. No no one is not. And, and that speaks to a real issue. And it's also a large piece of the work that I do when it comes to speaking to systemic oppression and the impact of just the financial system in in America and what it has had on people of color is that when people say things like that, it's the misconception that people are purposely waking up choosing to be broke, choosing to be in some of the situations that they are in. And we know that that's that's not the case. So when people get on social media on much larger platforms and they say things like millennials cannot afford to buy housing because they keep buying coffee, it just blows my mind because it's so far. You know, that that's so far um, from the truth. So, yeah, that's that's something that I, I don't like. <laughs> I don't like that at all. Yeah, I'm sure you're full of so many statistics as to why, like, very practically, that is not true based on percentage of how much housing prices are rising. And when measured against how our income is rising, it's it's insane. It's insanity. So clearly, that's not the case. And aside from that, just like you mentioned, there's so many like structural and systemic forces that come into play. So with that being said, I would love for you to speak into what you call the, the gender gap when it comes to financial literacy. And specifically why it's true, just a fact, that women are essentially paid less for doing more, and especially when they meet the intersections of oppression and structural racism, because it's it's a world that's created to keep certain people stuck, and it's by no fault of their own. When we think of the gender gap, it, it goes back for centuries. So it's not it's something that has been highlighted more of recent. It became a, a topic that everyone is speaking about, but it goes back for centuries. I was just doing some research earlier and it was like in the 1700s a woman she had to fight to not I, I forgot the, the how it was exactly, but she had to pretty much fight so that she wouldn't take on her husband's debt. And it's like that should just be a given. But to know that women were fighting this in 1700s and we're still fighting these things today, it's horrific. And I don't think people really consider how damaging the gender gap is when it comes to financial literacy and being paid fairly. When you think about women, women are more likely to make a sacrifice for their family, such as leaving work to care for a family, a child, a husband, or to just be a stay-at-home mom. We are more likely to make those decisions. But when we spend 20 to 30 to 40 years in the workforce being paid extremely less than men who by no other reason get that simply because of status or title, 
It's not always because of experience. It's not always because of the education background and skill for no other reason, because we are still building off of systems that were set in place in the 1700s and the 1800s and the 1900s. And that's just looking at it from a high level. But when you start digging deep into it and then you see not only are white women being paid less than white men, then you have black women that are up under white women. And then you have Latino women who are under black. And it just continues to trickle down over a course of 40 years. A African-American woman will lose nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars simply because she's not being paid a fair and equal wage to her white counterparts. And when you go deeper into that, over a course of that time, that could have been child care that she could have covered. It could have been her ability to actually invest money and grow money and build generational wealth. That money could have been used to purchase a home. These are all problems that are all connected to women not being paid fairly. So for me, this work that I do, it, it, it is rewarding because I feel like I am able to raise awareness to women of what is going on and how we can combat this. But it is very emotional. It's very emotional because until it is actually fixed, women are still suffering behind this. And then women are expected to live longer than men. So we're expected to live longer than them while making less money than them, while still being responsible for the exact same expenses of them as them. So for us, it's like sometimes we're fighting in a losing battle. But for me, I really feel like I'll fight this battle until I die. Even when my children are grown, even when I am grown, like this probably will be something I'll advocate for for the rest of my life. Your tenacity is inspiring. So inspiring. I love that you said that women are almost fighting this this losing battle. And how I have explained it before is that with the rise of feminism, which is so great. We love it. We're all about it. But it also piles on the expectations. Just like you said, we're living longer. We're expected to take care of our children and the household and our elderly parents. And now we're feminists. So you got to have this great job and buy a house and do it all at once while looking perfect doing it. And so it's, it's this weird, it's just a different place to be in than like you said, we've been in for centuries because of course we want to break down gender roles. But at the same time, there's a difference between equity and equality, right? So the statistic that you shared when you did one of your posts on this gap is that one in five women fall into poverty because of divorce. And this one makes me extra emotional because although I'm not a person of color, my my mom came into the country as a Jewish refugee. And long story short, my dad smuggled money through her and got into the country and left her with nothing kind of thing. Um, and so if it wasn't for certain people giving her an opportunity, like we did live below the poverty line, but we would have stayed there much longer. And I just know how much my mom had to fight to put food on the table as a single mom of two kids. So that is a direction that I want to go into when it comes to relationships. Obviously, it's so taboo. And look at me, I'm like stuttering talking about it. Um, and again, this is why because of all my almost like traumatic experiences when it comes to money between my my dad and my mom, it's something that's been a little bit tense in my relationship and something I'm constantly working on, you know, between therapy and trying to get my money mindset right and trying to make sure that I just taking care of myself as a person outside of my relationship. So can you explain why we should talk about money with the people we're dating, even if it's just casually dating? Yeah. 
So for me, first, I want to start off by saying this. I believe the ultimate display of love when you're in a relationship is your partner saying, I love you so much. I want to make sure you are financially secure, regardless if we are together or not. Now, that does not mean he's saying, I'm going to give you all of my money. So what that means is we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about it. We're going to have a plan. If, if we somehow merge expenses in the course of our relationship, let's also discuss what this means if we were to part ways. I feel like that is the ultimate display of love for someone to care that you are financially secure in the relationship that you are in. The reason why it's important to have conversations of this caliber is because when you spend enough time with someone, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to start picking up habits that they have. Mm -hmm. You're going to start seeing certain areas that they may be super relaxed in that you would normally not be relaxed in. You're going to start picking up those habits and you can merge expenses with someone. And let's say you guys have been together two years and you're in love and you're happy. And then now you finally find out this person is in mountains of debt, has a gambling problem. It opens up a whole new world of issues, but having conversations about it in the beginning, to me, I think is a very large part of relationships that people just often overlook. And for women, it's very unfortunate for us because there's been a stigma that when we approach money conversations that we are a gold digger or we're just after the money. For me, I can care less about a, a man feeling like that because I have to make sure that I am secure, especially when I look at it from my lens of being a mother going into any new relationship. I'm coming with two children that will not be biologically his and the work that I'm doing now, my children will be able to live off of this for the rest of their lives. So I have to make sure I'm doing everything humanly possible to secure their finances, to secure mine, my legacy. And it's okay to have conversations like that. And I feel like as adults, money conversations happen. If we were teenagers, yeah, it would be a little difficult. But as adults, we have to realize how important it is just to have this conversation, just to be you know, on the same page. I've seen so many women. I was in the courtroom one time with a woman and she lost everything in the divorce, the kids, the home, and she wasn't prepared. And sometimes when you, when we are in marriages, Men may take over bringing in the money, but the woman still is making 90% of the financial decision. So it's never a time where you should sit back on financial conversations while you are dating. Yes, it is very hard. But if you have a supportive partner, which I, I wish that for everyone, it can be something that you two can walk through together. And it can start small. It doesn't have to start off. What's your credit score? How much money do you make every month? Will you pay this bill? It doesn't have to be that. What was your experience with money like growing up? What are some of your financial goals? Do you consider yourself a spender or a saver? You can throw out scenarios. If X, Y, Z was to happen, if I was to lose 50% of my income, how would you feel if you had to cover my portion of expenses? Like these are real conversations to have because the last thing that you want to see is two, three years into the relationship, this person handles a financial dispute or anything completely horribly. And now you're battling with your emotions. Like, should I stay? Should I go? It just makes me easier to get those conversations out in the beginning. For sure. Somebody um, on my Instagram yesterday, I, my boyfriend and I are building a van to like live in and travel with. <laughs> so we, it was actually our first like big purchase together and we worked it out. Like basically I bought the van and he paid for the building. 
And that was kind of our agreement. And now we're kind of putting finishing touches on it. This is such a simple example, but it relates, I promise. So he's like, I bought this fabric from the fabric softener. We're going to get fabric glue and like cut this fabric, glue it at the ends and make a curtain for the windows in our van. And I'm like, no, if we're going to get curtains in our mobile home, (laughs) we're going to do it right. And so I I took it to an alterations lady, was so happy to support a small business, especially during this time. And he calls me and he's like, okay, well, how much was it? And I was like, she quoted me $200, but I was happy to pay. It's five windows. It's these curtains, whatever. And he made a little dad joke. He's like, damn, that's more than what I paid for the building the whole van kind of thing. And so anyways, it was all fun and games. And we've never had any like heated discussion about spending or anything. But somebody replied to my Instagram story and was like, well, how do you deal with when you have different, I guess, ideas in your head about what's worth spending money on and what's not? Or, you know, there are people that are like, why would we get drinks at dinner when we can drink at home? Or like, you know, those kinds of like very nuanced, like little things. And it brings me to you talk about like, I love the phrase they use, like staying financially alert when it comes to like dating your relationships early on. And so for me, like a positive sign is that we can joke about it. And at the end of the day, be like, okay, like let's do the curtains. You know, I'm good with as long as if it's important to you kind of thing. Um, But again, this is just such a small thing and I'm sure it will get bigger over time as we make bigger purchases. So what are ways that we can remain financially alert in our relationships and yeah, as the dating relationships and even going into marriage, if that's something we want to do. I'm asking selfishly. <laughs> no, what I want to say, that is a what happened with you and him and the curtains in the van. That's a very good example because, yes, that seems like something small, but I can see how that just as easily could have been something big. He could have looked at it as like, if I have an easier way and a cheaper way to do it, why are you adamant of on spending $200? Then that could have been a completely different thing. So yeah, it seems small, but it really could have been big. And you guys handled that perfectly. Being able to laugh and joke about it is amazing, especially when it seems like you guys have done the work. You guys are getting to understand each other's financial personality, which is good. And I think a lot of couples, they, they don't, you know, they don't do that. A way to stay financially alert sometimes with women and I'll speak from my experience when we fall in love we are just like google eyes we're so happy and it's like certain things that happen we let just get right you know right by us so when we're not thinking like (laughs) this it's been me too so when we are seeing things like wow He's spending $1,000 every week on XYZ. Like, we're not even thinking that. We're just so happy and caught in bliss. And sometimes, unfortunately, we don't think about it until we have to think about it. When a financial emergency arises and he can't assist, and then you start thinking like, well, just last week I saw you spend XYZ, and now it becomes a whole other issue simply because you didn't call it out. When you first saw it, it could have been a conversation then or it wasn't something that you guys discussed early on. So staying financially alert is one, always being involved. If you have a partner, if you guys have any shared expenses, always be involved. Even if you're in a situation where he is the breadwinner and you're the homemaker, still be involved. You still should be aware of what's coming in, what's going out, any investments that we have, any statements that's going on, anything that has your name on it. Sometimes we get in a situation and when it's good, 
we just sit back and we think that it's good and no one really prepares for the day that it's going to go bad. When I went through my divorce, I didn't even think about, oh, when he leaves the house, he's going to take his car. And I didn't have a car. Like that was so far out of my mind. But now, you know, when I look back, I think like that should have been something that we discussed, especially because I had the children, but I didn't bring it up. I didn't even know what to ask until it was too late, until I was already going through a divorce. So for me, staying alert is just being involved. It doesn't mean that every day has to be a conversation about money. You guys can make it fun. I love to practice what I call a money date. You and your partner can sit down. It can be once a week, once every two weeks where you sit down, you gather all of the financial documents and you just go over them together. It's a no shame area. So it's not, you're not reading the financial documents to call him out and play judge and jury, you guys are just looking over what's going on. Maybe you see something that he doesn't see. Maybe you see a trend where every Wednesday he's spending $200 and you're asking, hey, what's what's going on You know, on Wednesday? And you guys can be on the same page. Staying alert just means staying involved and making sure you ask the important questions. I don't think that there's any question that you should, if we are sharing living expenses, if my financial security is wrapped up in you, oh, I'm asking whatever I want to ask. <laughs> I'm asking whatever I want to ask. I want to have the comfort of going to sleep at night knowing that if we were to part ways tomorrow, we have both done our due diligence to make sure we are both financially secure. And not just for me, for him as well. If 50% of his living expenses is wrapped up in what we have going on in one house and report ways, I don't want him to be in a situation where he's having to deal with poverty stricken areas or he's having to suffer anything financially simply because we did not prepare for it. And again, even if we part ways, I care about people enough when it comes to money, but I still want to see you doing well. I still want to see you okay. I don't want to see you suffering because of a loss of relationship. I feel like that about men and women. And we solve that simply by having the conversations early and creating a plan. Oh, I just want to reiterate what you said. If somebody loves you, they're going to want you to be financially stable, whether or not you're in a relationship with them. Yes. Yes. And simply because of what it means when you're no longer with them. Like who wants that for someone that they want cared about. Even with, you know, my, my ex-husband, we are still close. Of course, we have a child together. And with me working in finance, I still send him information like, hey, do you have life insurance? You know, if something happens to him, I have a child, you know, by him. So I'm asking, you know, do you have life insurance? Oh, you don't. Here's some information. Look, you know, look into it. Let me know if you have any questions. Again, we're not together, but financially, I want to make sure he's well, because if he's not well, I have a child that's going to be impacted by that. The same thing for women who don't have children. If you and this person at one point have intertwined expenses, if they're no longer financially well, but you still have things that you need to survive, home, car, savings, investments tied to them, if they're not doing financially well, that's going to impact you. So having those conversations, creating a plan that says in the event of, Let's just make sure we can part ways, at least having covered the finances, the emotions. We'll figure that out later, but at least covering the finances. It's hard to get someone to make the right decision in the middle of a broken heart. So I would rather you make the right decision while you're in love. You're happy. We both have a clear mind. Let's sit down, do it now, rather than me hoping you make the right decision in the middle of a broken heart. The reason why I find so much just support and empowerment in your page is because you talk about these like 
taboo things like life insurance or like getting a will and like granted you're young we're young we're all so young but like you never know but these these things that are so taboo again and especially for women like we talked about the the gender gap the more we're like oh that's taboo or we shouldn't do this or i'm going to hurt feelings that or we're in love and it's uncomfortable to bring it up like the more we're just digging ourselves into this hole and i you know i realized this probably about i would say about like 8 months ago is when i started getting like really serious about we got to be talking about money more. And I will say there were some growing pains because we all have our stories about money and there was awkwardness and there was a little fight. Like, why are you asking me this personal question or this and that and, and trying to build trust and just clarify the intentions behind it. But I couldn't agree more with what you said. Like, let's figure out the logistics and we'll deal with the emotions later. But let's make sure both of us are, are good to go whether or not we're together because we care about each other and because we love each other. Not from the mindset of like, oh, well, because we're going to get divorced kind of thing, which is where a lot of people's minds go. Yeah. And, and, and again, it goes back to the mental impact of finances. People have created so many mental and emotional stigmas around money that we shy away from the things that can ultimately save our lives. When I think of the African-American community, we are very underrepresented in life insurance. And for me, that is a very tough conversation. When I had to get life insurance, I cried at my insurance agent's table at just the mere thought of this may really go into effect. Like I may really leave this earth and my children will really need this money. The thought of that broke my heart. But I, the way that I try to look at things is that again, the ultimate display of love is securing the person who you love financially. So I felt like, oh, yes, this makes me extremely emotional, but I'm going to push through this next 20, 30 minutes because I know when I leave this table and I sign these papers, if something happens to me on the porch of this office, my children are taken care of for the rest of their life. To me, it's no other way to say I love you more than me saying I love you even while I'm not here. I love you. I care for you. I want you secure even when I'm gone. Like I, I have prepared that for them. So I really try to push my community on, especially on Instagram, to focus on those tough things. And for me, I always use myself as the vessel. I'll bring up the tough conversation. I'll ease you into it. And I'll work through the emotional part with the people in the comments. And so once I have worked through that with you online, you can get off of social media and now you feel confident and empowered to make the call to the insurance agent to sit down and create a will because I've used myself as a vessel to do the heavy emotional lifting for you. So now the conversation that you've been scared to discuss, we just discussed it. Now the fear is gone. Now all you have to do is go do it. And that and that's really how I like to use my social media presence just as the vessel because I know some of those conversations or tough, but a will, though those things are necessary. Estate planning, those things are necessary. I would hate for my children to have to fight someone in probate court for something that is rightfully theirs, especially if I get married again. Because again, I'm married into a situation where my children are not his biological children. I would hope that he would do right by them, but I'm gone. The risk is not worth the reward. And that's really how I try to empower women to think. Sometimes the risk is not worth the reward in men, life, and even in professional and personal settings. We'll really try to play on our emotions and then it caps us from making secure decisions about our finances. 
Same thing with women not really being heavy on prenups because the first thing that they say is, oh, wait, he's going to think that I want to divorce. And again, that goes back to what we said earlier. No, the, the ultimate display of love is us creating this legal plan now on paper that says what's going to happen in the event of. If you don't leave and I don't leave and we both uphold our vows or whatever it is that we promise to each other, then this is just a piece of paper. And that's really how I try to empower women to think like my dream is to see so many financially confident and secure women and and being comfortable with leading conversations about finances and not being forced out of them because someone is making them feel inadequate or like they're a gold digger or they're only concerned about money. No, you very well should be concerned about regardless of how we want to look at it. Money is a huge part of our livelihood. And I, I'm, I'm not for women falling at the bottom of the totem pole anymore. Mm, you have such a powerful way with words. Like I wrote down, I'm putting this on a billboard. The ultimate display of love is securing the person you love financially. Just love how you phrase that. And so many things that you phrase, like if if we end up together forever, then it's just a piece of paper. And like, who cares? Yeah. So true. Um, Fun fact. I used to work at Aflac Life Insurance. (laughs) Okay. Just a, a weird fun fact. And another weird fun fact. My degree is in economics. Okay. Yeah. And even um, despite my degree, it's still we're just not taught about financial literacy. I mean, we we think about it in the theoretical sense, at least with my education. But again, we don't think about it as much as in the practical sense. So I just want to thank you for just taking away that taboo and serving as that vessel. Like you said, I know it can be emotionally taxing at sometimes, and especially because it's personal because you've lived it and so many other people have lived it. But Damn, you are creating a ripple effect of change and making people not only financial stable, but hopefully rich. (laughs) Um, I hope so. I I hope so. And then too, rich, rich is subjective. That's how I like to look at it. It's subjective. It can be one thing to me, one thing to you. And and I I want people to know that and feel confident in that because they get to design what personal finance looks like for them and what their journey is going to be. Some people have goals. They just want a house and a car. That's what makes you happy. That's perfectly, you know, fine. Rich is definitely, it's subjective. So if there's anything that I want people to take away from our conversation, I really want them to know that personal finance is personal. There are hundreds of financial educators and a lot of them give messaging extremely different. But at the end of the day, you get to design what this journey looks like for you. Hmm. Amen to that. Amen to that on a Friday. Thank you so much, Daisha. Where can we find you? work with you, most importantly, on the interwebs and all of that? Yeah. So of course, you know, I love Instagram. So I'm on Instagram every day at the broke black girl. Exactly. It's spelled exactly how it sounds. Facebook as well. It's the exact same thing. The broke black girl. Twitter, it's broke black girl underscore, but mostly Instagram. Um, my website is thebrokeblackgirl.com. So follow me, come there. We can learn together, laugh together, cry together. I'm willing to be that vessel for any women that comes to my page so that they can definitely go forward as confident, financially secure women. Do you have any courses or products available for people that are like just really excited to get their finances in check? 
Oh, yes, yes. So my goal for the top of the year was to try to help as many women as I could. And I created a several digital products that did extremely well in 2020. I bundled them together in one bundle for $18. Like the feedback that I've been getting has been amazing. It has been amazing. So it's seven different products. It's couple budgeting, debt management, estate planning, turning an idea into income, which is something that I've done before in the past. I put them all together, one bundle, $18. If you visit my Instagram page at the broke black girl, the link is in my bio, the first thing that pops up. And I've been doing that since January. And right now it's probably been about 1500 downloads. Like I, I wanted to help as many women as I possibly could the first quarter of the year. So I just bundled them together for a super cheap price. Yeah. And that is not even the price, one of the books, but it worked. I wanted to make it accessible and affordable for a short while, just so that I can help as many women as I could. All right. I'm getting it right now. Okay. Yeah. Right now. I'm getting it. You're an earth angel. Thank you so much, Daisha, for serving our community, our little community here and just the greater community of women and especially women of color. It's just so needed, so underserved. And I greatly appreciate and acknowledge you for doing this. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. I wrote a book. Yes, a real-life actual book that will be available in stores and online on March 23rd, 2021. It's called The Gift of Self-Love, and it's a workbook that will help you build confidence, recognize your worth, and learn to finally love yourself. You can pre-order the book now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book, and it'll be delivered to you on March 23rd, which is the official publication date. So depending on where you order from, it should arrive somewhere around that time. I have been working on this book for over a year, compiling everything that I've learned and everything I teach at my retreats and putting it into this heartfelt, relatable, and actionable workbook for you. The cool thing is that this book is a combination of not only me sharing my journey, but also it's a workbook that you can actually write in. So there are quizzes, journal prompts, self-reflection exercises, self-love challenges, all of which will help you with body image, confidence, self-worth, and self-love. So if you haven't gotten it yet, go pre-order it now by going to maryscupoftea.com slash book. And by pre-ordering, you'll also get free access to my next online retreat. So this is my way of saying thank you so much for your early support on this book. And I can't wait to see you, hang out with you, and do a workshop together at my next online retreat. So you can find all the pre-order links to order the book and all the information for the online retreat at maryscupoftea.com slash book. I'm certain that the tools that I share in this book will change your life as much as they've changed mine. So again, maryscupoftea.com slash book. Go pre-order it today and give yourself the gift of self-love.